Welcome everyone to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more. We have a great show for you this week, as always. Frequent contributor William Schwartz will be here to talk to me about the third season of Party Down, the cult comedy classic that is now rebooted and re-airing on Stars. I highly recommend it. And for the first time ever on this show, I'm going to talk to both Gallaga brothers. Omar Gallaga will be here to talk to me about Swarm, which is a serial killer, comedy, horror, drama, hybrid show that is airing on Amazon Prime and is produced by Donald Glover. And I'm also going to talk to Pablo Gallaga about John Wick Chapter 4, the latest installment in the Keanu Reeves action franchise, which is in theaters now. And Pablo and I will be right back to talk about that after this self-produced musical interlude. This week's blockbuster film is John Wick Chapter 4. Believe it or not, it's the fourth chapter in the John Wick saga. Uh, The last chapter was named John Wick Parabellum. I think it was John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. This one doesn't have a pretentious subtitle. It's just Chapter 4, and it throws us into the middle of the action pretty quickly. Uh, John Wick is is doing what he does best, kill people. He kills people, many people, uh, very quickly, and then for hours for hours on end. Uh, Pablo Gallaga wrote the review for us, and he is here to talk to me about John Wick. Hello, Pablo. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yep. Yeah, so you saw this when it premiered at South by Southwest. You know, it's not exactly a little underdog indie film. Uh, it's definitely like a Keanu Reeves blockbuster action pick. Uh, and I saw it in Austin, Texas last night as we're talking at the Alamo Draft House, which is a great place to see John Wick because they do a whole summary of the previous three movies. And you do kind of need to, re- to to watch the summaries to remember what is kind of a it's kind of a convoluted plot. Yeah, I actually thought um, you know I didn't remember so much of what even happened in the third film. I just kind of I think I had the ending of the second film in my head as of what had happened in the third film. And the third film was so dense; so many things do happen that kind of lead into this one. Uh, you know, he's excommunicado, which is you know that kind of fancy way of saying that he's on the run. But uh, yeah, like the South by screening was was a secret screening, which was not so secret. It had kind of leaked a week ahead of time that that was likely going to be the screening there. And, you know, hell of a way to see it. Everyone was very hyped for it. And uh, once it gets going, it gets going. That's for sure. Well, so uh, John, John Wick is, for those of you who have been asleep for the last decade, which may be some of you, uh, is a, an assassin, a professional assassin played by Keanu Reeves. And he's part of a substantially large international order of secret assassins that may be secret, but they see, they certainly seem to like, you know, fight and shoot each other out in the open a lot and have ax fights in this movie even. Uh, and there's, they, they bounce around um, the world to a series of hotels um, and they're ruled over something called the high table. None of that really matters, honestly, because the <laughs> whole point of the movie is, is just visceral action. You know, it's like the the lore and the melodrama of the hotels and the Assassin's Society, you know, is kind of cool, but doesn't really matter. This hit goes out to you, Mr. Wick. Woke up this morning. 
42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Challenge him to single combat. If you win, you'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'm gonna take what I want, so. Amen. Yeah, you ain't real, hold down. Right, the first 15 or 20 minutes or so of this one drag a little bit because of all the exposition that they have to catch you up on what happened in the last film and why he's on the run. And I mean, they're, they're actually really building out that, you know, it is this vast network of assassins, but there's also the crime syndicate families that I think are going to play a major role in the spinoff that they're working on called Ballerina with Anna de Armas. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, once it's just the point where he's killing people, like that's, that's all you need at that point. Well, so there are three extended action sequences in the movie. There, there's one that takes place in Osaka, Japan, in one of the Continental Hotels, uh, which is quite long and quite exciting. They're all good. They're all good. And then yeah. there's, there's the Japan sequence. There's a long, long action sequence in a nightclub in Berlin. And then there is the climactic sequence, which takes place in various settings, in various locations in Paris. There's a fight in a, in a house, an endless house. That's essentially a video game come to life. There's a crazy uh, chase through the streets. And then there's a long sequence on the steps leading up to Sacré-Cœur uh, Cathedral. And so like, and, each one is more melodramatic and Baroque and ridiculous than the next. Can we talk a bit about that house sequence that you did mention, like the video game uh, sort of you know, quality to it. There's this extended crane shot from overhead. It's very video game. Um, not sure if it's really kind of playing off of a, there was a John Wick indie video game called uh, Hex that was really good. Um, there's just been a lot of really good indie games that sort of probably borrowed from John Wick and it's kind of being paid back in that sequence. It's just an amazing thing with the, what is it? The dragon's breath incendiary rounds. That's so cool. Yeah. They have, he has this flamethrower that he's torching people with. And that's the thing too, is like, there's a lot of death. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands of, of bodies. Uh, the body count is huge, but you know, it, it, it looks and feels like a video game. Like you're not seeing occasionally there is some blood. Usually when a character who has some dialogue gets shot, um, you see a little bit of blood, but like for the the drones who just kind of blow through and get their their ass kicked or shot, you don't see a lot of blood. It's actually not as gory as you can imagine. It's like they're just like video game kills. Um, it's all they are because these aren't characters. They just people just come out of all corners and attack John Wick, and he he stabs them, he hits them with nunchucks, he shoots them, and they all have these like armor plated suits that they wear and i mean yeah ballistic suits and i I think that that kind of adds to that where you can take a number of shots and it's you're not expecting blood to gush out because it's like essentially a bulletproof vest right but when i say suits i mean italian suits i don't mean like oh yeah (laughs) yeah they're like fancy italian suits so you know and there's and there's no there's no real like there's well, what this movie does, I was going to say, like, it's not just a bunch of white assassins. You know, there are black assassins. There are uh, Chinese assassins. There are, are uh, Latino assassins. This is a very multicultural society of assassins. Um, but with this movie really, even more than the others, has kind of a Hong Kong action picture vibe to it. And that is partially because uh, the second lead is this blind assassin 
named Kane, and he's played by a Hong Kong action star, right? Yeah, Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen, and he, I gotta say, you know, Keanu Reeves is, you know, he holds the screen like he does, but, you know, he's not, John Wick's not a very interesting character. He doesn't say anything interesting. He doesn't have a wide range of emotions. He just kind of grunts and says, yeah. Yeah, decreasingly so, yeah. It's always a, yeah, or I need a gun. Like, that's pretty much it for him. Yeah, yeah. But but Kane is an interesting character who has actual motivations. And I don't know, Donnie Yen, I just feel like, plays him with a, a, a surprising amount of uh, depth and gravitas. And it really, I think, brings this movie to life in, in a way that um, a lot of the other antagonists in the John Wick movies haven't been. And speaking of antagonists, you got to give a shout, shout out here to Bill Sarsgaard, Skarsgård. Oh, yes. Who plays the bad guy, the Marquise de Beaumont or whatever the hell his name is. I don't, I don't but you know, he, <laughs> it's, he's basically playing a Bond villain role, right? Um, oh, exactly. Yeah. He's just the right amount of like suave and slime. Like, you know, he's, he's so he's good, good counterpart. He's so good, you know, and he's and you want to see him get it. But you also like you don't mind watching him like, you know, some of the more recent Bond movies like, you know, the, the villains like Rami Malek, they've been horrible, horrible to watch, you know, un, unappealing and not really that menacing. And I, I feel like uh, Bill Skarsgård is fantastic and he's he has a lot of scenes. Um, and then you have to also mention Ian McShane um, as Winston, the the owner of the New York Continental, who um, is kind of has a tragic subplot in this film. And he is he is he, he's the only one who they actually seem to write any real dialogue for. That, that's been a hallmark of the whole series. Uh, him and Lance Reddick, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, they've been the heart of the franchise all along because they're kind of that sounding board for John like throughout the whole journey. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, um, you know, I would say this movie, you gave it three stars. I feel like that's a little low, honestly. Like, it's not, but four stars also seems like, if we did have stars, this would be the essence of a three and a half star movie. Oh, definitely, yeah, three and a half if we had the halves. It's that, that slow start got me, and then I went back and watched the original. I'm like, it's not as efficient and tight as that first film. But it does amp up the action. So, you know, you can't go wrong with that piece of it. It's a little too long, but it's not way yeah. too long. Surprisingly, given that it's two hours and 49 minutes, you know, you're just, you just kind of get swept up in it all. Uh, you know, it's really, really enjoyable. And, you know, it is clear that um, the John Wick universe, I mean, spoiler alert, Keanu's not going to be around unless there are flashback sequences. Um, but uh, the John Wick universe is, is well established. It almost makes you believe that this is happening in our world, that there are people like having these, these assassins, these assassin battles everywhere around us. I've never seen it's, one. It's the definition of world building. They've done such a good job there. Uh, they have said that he will cameo in the ballerina film, uh, but that's probably the extent like they, him and uh, Chad Stahelski are just, they're done for now. In, you know, four films, they have to be tired. Just maybe down the line, they'll revisit. And I, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll see what Keanu, happens. Does but. he do his own stunts? I'd be tired. It's a lot of nunchucks. <laughs> yeah. There's nunchucks. Yeah. The nunchucks finally come out in this one. That, that was kind of cool. Yeah, well, Stahelski was his, uh, his stunt double in the Matrix series. I don't know who his stunt double is in this one. But yeah, I mean, I, he does a significant amount of the, the gunplay pieces of it. Obviously he doesn't do like the, the more intensive stunts, but I mean, it's just a long franchise to be a part of. Like it's almost like having Marvel fatigue where you just don't want to be doing so many films with the same character for so long. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was that was my version. <laughs> just marvel fatigue. Yeah, it, it makes yeah. me tired just saying that. I want to kill John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, John Wick Chapter Four is in the theaters now. Uh, you should see it. You know, if you want, if if you like, uh, if you like action movies, you're not going to do much better than John Wick Chapter Four this year. I don't think. That is true. All right, Pablo Gallaga. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Neil. You still tweeting from that old ass swarm account? Mm-hmm. She is not like everybody else. She knows what we're thinking, and she gives it a name. She's a goddess. With your feet on the air and your head on the ground. I gotta grow up, Dre. I can't stay here with you. Why are you doing this to me? I had to ask you to leave. Try to strip and spin it. What do you think she's doing right now? <laughs> Who's your favorite artist? <laughs> You're a killer bee. Part of the swarm. <laughs> One of the buzziest TV premieres at South by Southwest this year was a show called Swarm, which I believe was produced by Donald Glover, and it is a show about uh, uh, fi- fandom, online fandom of uh, pop stars and how it can turn toxic. And boy, does it turn toxic in this show. Omar Gayaga covered South by Southwest for us and for lots of other people, and he went to the premiere of Swarm and has seen the whole show and is here to talk to me about it. Hello, Omar. Hey, Neil. Good to be here. Yeah, nice to have you back. So so Swarm, all right, so tell us what what is, what's the deal with this one? Yeah, Swarm, um, it was conceived of by Donald Glover, uh, Childish Gambino, who we know from Atlanta, um, and the showrunner is Janine Neighbors, who also wrote for Atlanta and for Watchmen. She's got a really great resume. So it, what it is, is it is about a Beyonce-like pop singer who's very, very popular. And when the show opens, we, we uh, come to two sisters who grew up as huge fans of hers. They're from the same, they, they come from Houston, where, where this fictional singer is also from, uh, like Beyonce. And uh, some stuff happens, some very dark stuff happens. And one of the characters... Um, named uh, Dre, um, played by Dominique Fishback, uh, basically starts a murder spree that that runs for the uh, pretty much the entire run of the show, which is only I believe seven episodes, and uh, it's on Amazon Prime. I premiered at South by Southwest uh, on opening night, right after the Dungeons and Dragons premiere, <laughs> same venue, and uh, it got a really great reaction at South by Southwest for the first two episodes. It had a lot of signage and and hype around it. Uh, it was on buses all over South by Southwest. So it, Amazon uh, did an activation for it. Uh, they, they recreated a convenience store that's in a scene from the show. So it, it got a lot of buzz and a lot of um, uh, push at South by Southwest. But now that it's out there, all, all seven episodes dropped on St. Patrick's Day on, on March 17th. And it is getting uh, a lot of a lot of reaction and not all of it's great. <laughs> a lot of- yeah, that's, that's interesting that, you know, and you mentioned this in your review too, like the first two episodes People, um, you know, are praising it for being, you know, fresh and satirical and, you know, and, and different. And apparently that, uh, that doesn't, ca- it's not like the different part doesn't carry over, but uh, some of the elements that made it, it good at the beginning seem to, seem to fall away by the end. Yeah, it takes some really sharp turns. And, and I think that's kind of what was so appealing about those first two episodes is it, to me, it felt like 
you know, the same vibe of Atlanta, that sort of languid, something's weird is about to happen, you know, surreal vibe. And then it takes some very sharp, violent turns. And the way I was describing it to people was, was it was like Atlanta meets Pulp Fiction meets Obsession. Like it's, there's, there's some really interesting elements to it. And uh, to hear Donald Glover and uh, Janine Neighbors talk about it, it sounds like they were very influenced by European cinema, by, by uh, you know, the guy that directed Cachet, you know, just these very mysterious, uh, dark dramas. And the, the other element that they were really trying to work with was why don't we see serial killer stories about black women? We never see black women cast in the role of a, of a serial killer. It's always as a the capable judge or the lawyer or the, you know, doctor, you know, like we, we never see these very dark uh, anti-hero um, portrayals uh, with black women cast in those roles. So I think that was the other driving force bit behind this. And then sort of the whole Beyonce, Bayhive fan culture online, you know, whenever someone says anything negative about Beyonce, you know, the Bayhive swarms against them yes. and, and, you know, comes after them. And that's sort of the other element of the show. Is right. So, so, so our anti-hero protagonist is a, is a fan of this She's singer. A- and or Stan, as you as, Stan, as you call as, it. Well, sure. And, and she doesn't like it when people uh, criticize her her beloved, basically. Yeah, and if it and if it was as simple as that, if it were just like she she goes online and sees people criticizing the singer Nija, uh, the name of the character in the show, uh, and then goes and kills them, like that would be a very simple take on the story. But it, it goes into a lot of weird, interesting places. Uh, Dominic Fishback is fantastic in it, but she's playing a very stunted character who already has a lot of issues before any of this stuff starts to happen she's already kind of off and 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 something about her psyche uh is is sort of vulnerable to to that uh, but then she finds sort of empowerment in in these murders and she and uh you know kind of the, the path of chaos that she leaves behind starts to kind of build her up and empower her in ways that you don't really see in the first episode so it, it goes to some interesting places uh, but then where it really lost me um toward the end was there's an episode a penultimate episode that sort of does what Atlanta did sometimes where it just sort of breaks format and turns into a, turns a whole episode over into like a true crime, you know, Netflix series where it's just sort of talking about the crimes that we've already witnessed as, as fiction uh, and puts it in this sort of, you know, an investigate, a black female investigator is trying to kind of solve these, tie these crimes together and solve them uh, and for an entire episode. And then that leads into the finale, which feels very rushed. It feels very, it really disrupts the flow of the story and the main character and it just feels kind of kind of hokey and 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 uh, predictable. Like that that's exactly the sort of thing Atlanta would have done in one of its last two seasons. But I think Atlanta would have done it way better and and funnier. It just feels sort of out of place. And then it leads to a finale that's real problematic. There's some real heavy uh, turns that it takes in the last episode that I really found uh, kind of gross. And and um, you know it really starts to mix in these elements of you know transgender individuals as murderers and and sort of violent crime. Uh, coming out of suppressed sexual desire. Like it just, it gets real ugly and real, um, for me, I just felt like, yeah, that that's not a turn that the show, it already had a lot of interesting elements. It didn't need that extra one that makes it super problematic. And and I feel like it was also provocative in a way of like, well, we're going to get a huge reaction out of this because it, you know, we're, we're, we're telling a story that's going to be very controversial and very, um, you know, talked about and buzzed about on the internet. That's sort of what it feels like. Like we're like, if you're poking, the hornet's nest just to get a reaction. That's so strange because, you know, when you describe the show at the beginning, I find myself thinking, well, maybe I'll watch that to, you know, describing it at the end saying, why, why would I watch that? (laughs) Yeah. You know, the, the beginning, uh, the first few episodes, I would say all the way up to the the third or fourth episode 
are really exciting and entertaining and take take really sharp turns that are that are more thrilling and interesting. There's there's an episode about a, a female cult led by Billie Eilish, the singer, mm. you know, in, in a very good role. Like she actually does yeah. very well acting wise. Um, and I thought, this is great. This is really taking, doing, take playing with genre and sort of has midsummer vibes to it. It's really interesting that every episode is sort of a different take on different types of genres within the serial killer story. And then the, the ending really just sort of whiffs it just really doesn't kind of doesn't live up to the promise of, of what's come before it. I felt. All right, so let's get some positive takeaways from, from Swarm. I, obviously, I don't think any of the negative reaction has been, well, there can't be a black female serial killer. I think that people are, I think we're ready for that as a society. And also, um, there's a kind of a star is born thing going on here with Dominique Fishback, right? Like, has, what has she been in before? Oh, she, she was in Judas and the Black Messiah, though, which which I did oh. not get to see. So that, that she was in that. She's in Transformers. Um, All right, so she's been a working uh, actor, but obviously Judas, known, yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah, even though it was nominated for an Oscar, uh, you know, it was came out in 2020. It didn't exactly, uh, you know, dominate the uh, the conversation. So all right, so yeah. this is, this here is someone who, uh, but this is a, a a performance that announces that she has arrived. She's tremendous. She's especially, you know, in that first half of the season, you know, of, of this one. And, and I should say, this is a one shot show. This is not something that's going to continue on for season two, season three. I mean, they've said it's a limited series. It's beginning, middle and end that they don't plan to continue this story beyond, you know, these seven episodes, which doesn't feel like a lot um, for, for the type of complex uh, story it's trying to tell. Uh, Dominic Fishback is fantastic. She's really, really great and, and really gets a, you know, despite the, these ugly, terrible things she's doing, you still, you know, feel for her and you still uh, want to know more about her backstory. But then when we get her backstory, it's like, oh, oh, it's that. It's that that sort of trope yeah. of, of of suppressed sexual desire, of, you know, being in the foster care system. It's like it, it perpetuates a lot of the stereotypes that I think it would it would have done better to try to subvert. And instead it sort of plays into those, you know, the, the, the same kind of stereotypes we've been seeing since, you know, since before Silence of the Lambs, you know, that, that sort of like, oh, they're, they're all messed up, you know, because they have these, these desires that they can't express. Um, it, it's why can't they just scary. like killing people? Why can't they just find it? Why can't they just, simple pleasure, S- simple pleasures, Omar. That was the promise of the show. Like, why, why can't we see a black woman serial killer who is just, you know, who is, you know, sort of the Dexter of her, of her genre, you know, like her like, hobby, her hobby, really. Her, you no, know, it, ha- it has to be something else, you know, yeah. it can't just be that. So I, I think they added a few too many layers, a few too many, uh, you know, allusions to duality. And, you know, it, it got, it gets a little bit uh, in too far into itself to, to just be an effective good seven episode story. All right. Well, that is Swarm. It's on Amazon Prime from executive producer, Donald Glover, director, showrunner, Janine Neighbors, and, you know, I guess uh, buyer beware at this point. Omar and I have have set it up for you pretty well, I think. Yeah, watch the first couple episodes. I mean, I think there's some good stuff in there. I just don't don't expect the ending to to, uh, to, to be feeling good. All right. Just just remember, you heard it here first, or at least second. All right. Thanks, Omar. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dale. Appreciate it. Party down, catering. Yes, of course we're open for business. I just need your event info. And I will help you get the party started. This is an important event. No personal business on company. Ah, group photo. Okay, get the whole gang. Weren't we the gang and you were more management? Now it's a party down reunion. Um, Just what everyone's dying for. (laughs) 
This is a big opportunity. I want high professional service. This is not how I envisioned my 40s. Uh, oh, no! Are you okay? You know, I had some silver for gravitas. I meant your hand. Oh. Remember what we're not going to rock. Your body? The boat, Henry. The boat. We've written about on the site many times that we're in the middle of a, a reboot mania. There's no cultural product that can't be revived, but most of those reboots don't work very well and uh, for various reasons. But there is, I was so excited to see this, um, this show being revived. Party Down is back on Stars, where it originally ran. And uh, you know, this was a uh, sort of a short, short run sitcom uh, that stopped production Quite a while ago, and it's one of my favorite shows of all time, and I'm so happy to see it back. Although I don't have stars yet, um, my, my wife uh, watches Outlander on stars, and I, I find myself, um, when is Outlander coming back? When can we, when can we and not, not because I actually want to watch Outlander, but because when we subscribe, we subscribe to stars when Outlander is on, and then I'll be able to finally watch uh the new season of Party Down. William Schwartz, on the other hand, has watched the new season of Party Down, and he wrote about it for us on the site, and he's here to talk to me. I have not actually seen the whole thing. For reasons unclear to me, Star's publicity is only making the first, has only made the first five episodes available to press, so anybody watching this, anybody listening to this could actually probably just watch it themselves at the end of the day, because I do believe they, yeah, they come out on Fridays. You've seen five episodes, though, and that's more than I've seen. And uh, I, I found myself, in order to get my party down fixed until my subscription to Stars Renews, I've been watching old episodes of it, and I find myself uh, looking forward to the reboot even more. And your review uh, made me want to see it even more. It sounds like they have nailed and kept the tone of the original show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of it just has to do with uh, how the concepts of Party Down have aged because, well— Party Down is it's about a company, a party catering company, just a very small, small business kind of thing. Well, sort of, I guess they don't go into the corporate stuff that much, but the basic point being, it's the kind of experience that's very relatable to anybody who has worked in a retail environment, lots of customer service, that kind of thing. And a whole lot of things have changed over the last 15 years, but the general misery and dread of retail has not, and lots of customer service interactions, has not really changed. The dealing with the customers, none of that stuff has changed. And I think most importantly, and this goes way beyond 15 years ago, the entire Los Angeles experience of being somebody who goes to the city with these big, ambitious dreams that cannot really possibly come true, that hasn't really changed either, even though it seems like all of the people doing that are getting older and older these days. And it gets to be a bit, it's sad, but... Party Down makes it kind of sad in a funny way. Well, you know, I can relate because I went to Los Angeles to pursue dreams of selling a TV show and being a screenwriter. And, uh, you know, this was after I'd had some success in, in my writing career and I failed miserably. I mean, I never ended up working for a catering company. But, you know, my wife uh, was, you know, working for like a gift box company and was doing the sort of, you know, catering to the stars, basically. And so I, I can relate to party down in a very visceral way. And, it, and I think it's more than just retail industry. I mean, it's like, it, these are service industry professionals and a lot of- yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, and you know, they're like waiters basically. They're waiters and food, they do food prep, but like they, there's a lot of interaction with the guests and what makes the show so interesting and the characters so interesting is that, you know, a lot of these are 
most of them are failed actors. Not all of them, but most, you know, the Henry's the character of Henry played by Adam Scott is a failed actor. Um, Ryan Hansen's character, Kyle has intermittent success as an actor. Uh, Martin Starr's character is a, you know, failed screenwriter, essentially. Um, Jane, is Jane Lynch back in the new episodes? She is not in as big of a role. They actually com- they completely work with the idea of what happened in the second season finale of her marrying this rich guy who manages to die a few minutes after the wedding. Right. So she's wealthy. So she, but she's like a, she's a, you know, there's a lot of jokes in the show about how she was in, you know, she was a, not a, she was a low level movie actor in the eighties basically. And she, she in the show is, is finds herself, um, you know, working as a caterer as well. And, you know, and then, then, uh, then Lizzie Kaplan's character, Casey is a, uh, you know, aspiring stand up comedian. I know that she's not currently, she's not in season three. She actually manages to succeed as far as we can tell. It would not surprise me if, there's a stunt appearance in the sixth episode, and that's the reason why uh, Stars is not releasing the final episode to critics because they don't want anybody to spoil it. Yeah, and there's some chatter that um, she might she might want to come back for a season four if they do it. But like you mentioned the piece, and I thought that was such an interesting point. You know, one of the reasons Party Down had to stop was because Adam Scott was uh, Parks and Recreation poached Adam Scott for uh, for its cast uh, sort of halfway through its run, and Jane Lynch went on to Glee, and now she is, of course, a, a very uh, successful game show host. Uh, but the, what you point out is that Parks and Recreation and Glee were generally optimistic shows uh, that good that good would triumph over evil, and they were they were sort of these gee whiz comedies in, or shows in a lot of ways. Whereas Party Down is very cynical, and yet those shows are you know trivia question answers at this point, you know, and they're they're optimistic point of view is basically on the scrap heap while party down steam still seems very very relevant yeah 100 percent. it's a little unnerving especially if you look at adam scott's career trajectory in particular over this point yeah that's how he got big he got to be the party down he wasn't the, not not the party down guy the parks and rec guy and now he's doing more cerebral kind of work like severance being um the big thing that he's known for at this point but again, like, you know, he came back to Party Down for a reason because the writing is so sharp. The comedy is so funny. And, you know, I, I was never a, a huge fan of Parks and Recreation. And it's funny watching the old seasons of Party Down now after after um, everything went off the air. And, you know, his chemistry with Lizzie Kaplan's character is 100 times more than he ever had with Amy Poehler on, on Parks and Rec. The irony is it kind of... It's, it almost feels like a tape on every other character that he's done since then because he's always generally been playing as the straight man. But there's this real there's this real theme in Party Down about how his being the straight man doesn't actually make him superior. It just makes him a little quieter than the other characters. Yeah. And he even kind of recognizes the fact that just because he's not really above it all because he quit acting, hence why the second season ends with him attempting another audition which, as we can see in the long run, didn't really work out. But he doesn't, he knows that he is not superior for giving up. That doesn't make him better. It just makes him an alcoholic. He's just, there's a sadness and vulnerability about him. But, you know, my, I have to admit, like, my favorite character in the show is, uh, is Ryan Hansen's Kyle, who's kind of this, like, good looking surfer bro who, um, is optimistic. But he, you know, he's not as, he's not as stupid as you would expect that character to be. I love his, um, his sort of in his rivalry 
in some ways with Roman, uh, Martin Starr's character. It's always very funny. Um, and I, does that continue on in the, in the second show? Is that, is that dynamic still there? It is, although it is not totally clear from context whether the superhero movie he appears in as the headliner is supposed to be actually a big Marvel thing or just some random movie. However, um, the impression given is very clear is that he is he, he's canceled for singing my for singing my struggle at Jane Lynch's wedding at the end of the second. Yeah, because somebody took a video of it and put it online. Um, and he apparently doesn't have enough money so that he, he can't go back to working as a catering waiter. Yes, basically, there are contrivances to get everybody back to becoming catering waiters. Most the main contrivance is COVID. But yeah, for the first episode, it's not really a team. You, there are several super minor background characters who are working at the catering company before the entire team gets back together again, basically because the catering industry, as everybody knew, it collapsed with COVID-19. We only find out at the very end of the episode that the first episode is actually taking place in 2000 in late 2019. That's very accurate. You know, I have a, I, one of my sisters works in the catering and events industry uh, in Los Angeles, and you know, they, they didn't work for two years, at least. I, I like that, uh, you know, that Party Down is leaning into it and, um, you know, not, not in a- And like it almost gives the characters a happy ending, but then COVID just kind of snatches it away, which is pretty much what would have happened to real life if, if any of them had managed to achieve minor success, except for like the two of them um, who, managed to get jobs, if you can really call them jobs, that aren't really uh, affected by the pandemic in that kind of way. All I know is that we haven't seen the end of the Party, party Down season. We probably haven't even seen the end of Party Down, period. I'm guessing there's going to be a season four. I am so excited that... It is massively... It, it has been getting lots of word of mouth, I think, is how a lot of people have been hearing about it. I'm not seeing much indication that the actual star's numbers are that strong, but... Yeah, why reboot Party Down is honestly kind of, it, it's a mystery that is even mentioned in the first episode itself with characters questioning the point of, you know, seeing people that we've seen before in new contexts or watching other people that we've seen before in new contexts. And it is kind of hard to tell. I can only assume that in the very long run, Party Down has done really well on streaming because it is on Hulu for some reason. Yeah, and it's on Amazon Prime as well. And so, well, it's, it, yeah, and you could watch it. You could watch it on both platforms. The, the original Party Down was never like a big hit. It was one of these things that like people who you know, like comedy and really appreciated, and and you know always talked up. Um, so you know, real fans of comedy liked it. And it was one. It's like it's what you would call a cult classic, basically. Uh, it was really ahead of its time, even though it's. None, none, none of the basic backdrop has actually changed at all. So it makes it kind of a fascinating thing to watch. Like you can, it does, the first two seasons do not feel even slightly dated. And the third has the exact same tone. Some of the, you know, they have flip phones instead of smartphones. You know, I, I just, you know, there's, there's some, there's some, some of the references are a little dated. A whole, there's a whole new character in third season that just does um, content creation via TikTok. Uh-huh. Which is like the, one of the more explicit updates about how life is different now compared to 15 years ago. But he's the exact same, same kind of overly optimistic character as everything else. And one of the funnier things is, yeah, they, the characters actually do have some success doing content creation on YouTube or whatever. And what are they able to get with this? They can get maybe a car that's 
not really very helpful. Modest ambitions, but they're still stuck working at the catering company because you can't reliably make a million view video on YouTube and get the content monetization from that. Yeah. Uh, tell me about it. Uh, for, I am fortunate uh, to not be working at a catering company at all, although I can certainly see myself um, in, in that role. Um, you know, I think a lot of us could, which which is why Party Down is so successful. So the uh, the first two seasons are now available on streaming services. The third season is airing on Stars, and I look forward to, for the first time ever, look forward to Outlander coming back so we can renew our Stars subscription and I can watch Party Down. William, thanks so much for writing about it and for talking to me about it. Sure. Always a pleasure to speak on the podcast. All right, thanks, William Schwartz. If you didn't already get the message, I highly recommend Party Down, which is now airing on Stars and also on Hulu, at least the first couple of seasons on Hulu. Check it out. Also, thanks to Omar Gayaga for talking to me about Swarm, which is now airing on Amazon Prime, and to Pablo Gayaga for talking to me about John Wick Chapter 4, which is in movie theaters now. I'm Neil Pollack. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover books and films and streaming TV and so much more. Reviews, commentary, essays, anything you want to read about our popular culture, we've got for you. Please check the site out. Thanks for listening to the show. I will talk to you soon. You can buy the books discussed on the Book and Film Globe podcast at The Book House, Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to thebookhousemilburn.com to shop online and support small independent booksellers or visit our actual physical site in Milburn, New Jersey where you can buy books from all the authors featured on The Dark Word and the Book and Film Globe podcasts. TheBookhouseMilburn.com <laughs>